HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of The Speakeasy has been brought to you by New York Cider Week. For more information, check out ciderweeknyc.com. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. So you don't shun the devil with your rock and roll load. Knows that country music's gonna save your soul. The The Speakeasy. I'm your host, Damon Bolte. There are two things in my life that I really wish I got to do a lot more of. Um, one of them is travel for work, and the other one is meet fellow Okies. And a few years back, I got to take care of both of those in one uh, sweet trip to uh, to France. Um, and in the airport, I met a fellow who I, I followed his re, you know, like his writing and uh, his articles about cocktails and mixology on uh, his website, the the Cocktail Chronicles, and then later on in Imbibe Magazine. And it wasn't until we'd met up in the airport and started driving out to Cognac, met in Bordeaux, started driving out to Cognac. We started talking about stuff and uh, you know, kind of talking shop, and then realized. We're both from Oklahoma, and that was kind of a weird thing to to experience, you know, cocktail people from Oklahoma. But that's kind of how we started our conversation, our conversation in our relationship. And I'm really happy to finally have on the show today, although via telephone, which is totally okay. Um, very happy to have Mr. Paul Clark in the radio waves today. Paul, how you doing, buddy? Hi. Great. I'm really happy to be here. I wish I was there in the studio with you, Damon. Yeah, me too, man. I don't get to see you as much as I'd like to, but it's always a good time whenever I do see you and get a chance to talk Absolutely. to you. Absolutely. So are you in Seattle right now? I am in Seattle right now. Um, we're gearing down on uh, the January issue of Imbibe and um, just getting ready for the for the holidays coming up. That's right. You're a very busy man. You recently came out with, I mean, outside of being the executive editor of uh in my opinion, the best drinks publication out there. Um, you know, I you, you've got this. You've got the new book coming in, like that came out, and you're just bouncing around. I, you know, uh, I was going to say, like, I, I kind of like modeled this show 
based on him by magazine. Because, really? Yeah. Because, um, you know, there are times where I'll have, you know, someone who is a coffee roaster or tea producer or a brewer or a winemaker. You know, it's it's all about drinks and not just about cocktails and spirits, you know. And I think that's a, that's a – I had – I've had people come on and talk to talk about uh, non-alcoholic drinks, you know, mocktails, if you will. Um, and uh, it's really it's kind of based on the format of of Imbibe Magazine. Uh, so I really appreciate that from you guys for inspiring this show. Um, also, absolutely, and, and, and I mean, as you discovered from you know following this path yourself, uh, the beverage world is this big, wild, wide-ranging place. Um, you know, I, I first kind of got my interest in it first as a beer geek years and years ago. Uh, I then kind of got into the cocktail world, and that's what got me doing this professionally. But, you know, working at Imbibe has really kind of given me an opportunity to indulge some of those er- other areas that I may not have, uh, you know, spent as much time on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I spend a lot more time thinking about and talking about and writing about coffee now. Or um, I'm finally you know, kind of getting the wine education that uh, uh, that is handy for you know a civilized person to have. So it's really kind of you know given me an opportunity to dig into these other things as well as you know indulge my uh, uh, my original passion for, for beer and cocktails and, and for great spirits. So you know it's, it's just a lot of fun all around. I'm sure you're probably finding that too. Absolutely. I mean, there's always you know like right now it's uh, Sherry Week, so I've learned so much more about Sherry than I have ever done from any reading just by like go through and like kind of like mostly like a like a refresher course but there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff that you know there i would say that this industry is really exciting because you can never know it all and that kind of keeps you driven to to learn more and yeah i learned a lot about sherry i'm still learning about sherry (laughs) i'm not doing it right Right. now (laughs) at this particular moment i'm enjoying a ice cold budweiser but uh (laughs) but it's the sherry of <laughs> I don't know which sherry it would be, but uh, but yeah, of course you know it's like, like you as best as anyone would know a lot more about that. Um, you know, especially like you know, like you're saying, you've learned so much about coffee and and wine. There's like I think that's one of the coolest things about imbibe to me too. It's like it's not just about the like I said before, it's not about the the cocktails and spirits. It really covers everything and even to like barwares and brewery like brewing wares and like the you know equipment and kind of like the offshoots and like kind of the 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 nebulous you know surrounding uh these different tipples you know Mm -hmm. yeah and you know the thing about imbibe and imbibe readers is really you know our readership is kind of a target rich environment in a way you know we know that we have a lot of cocktail people uh, who, who pick up the magazine and read it whether they're inside the industry as bartenders or as uh, spirits experts or brand ambassadors or, or people who just really enjoy uh, knowing more about the drink in their hands likewise you know we know we have a lot of coffee people who pick up the magazine and, and ditto with beer people so as I'm going into stories and as we're going through preparing each issue uh, I'm kind of looking at each issue thinking okay how do we pull somebody out out of the other camp, you know how do we uh, how do we put together a beer story that's going to get the attention of that, of that person who picked up the magazine to read about coffee, and how can we do a cocktail story that will win a beer nerd over and get them mixing something? Um, 
So, you know, we have this this built-in audience that, that, that is just so enthusiastic about different elements of the drinks world. And so to, to the extent that we can, you know, get people to kind of cross-pollinate between the different drink styles, then I think it's going to be just a richer experience for all of us. You know, the restaurant experience is going to be richer, the bar experience is going to be more wonderful, and people are just going to really enjoy what's in their glass a lot more. I think it's, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, mean, I think it's really cool, especially, you know, like, like you're saying, you know, there's a lot of us like nerds out there that you know it's easy for us to cross pollinate because anything that you can pour into a glass we're pretty excited about it you know just like the the technique the process you know the history um but it's really cool with like magazines like buy because it's not to me it's it's a great magazine to cross pollinate to the food world too you know like that's that's a huge huge step um, whereas, you know, there, there are other great, you know, Bon Appetit's been really focusing more on putting more, like tr- putting more drinks into the magazine than they were say like five years ago. Um, there are more publications that are trying to cover it all, but I, like, I think where Imbibe really, where it really shines is that it's, it's almost like, like a like the, the it's kind of like it's kind of like the master's course you know like it's you, like you know a fair amount about your food and beverage but then it's like all right well, we're gonna really like hone into this whole side and just really really drive it you know and really bring it out um right right absolutely i mean you know we're at this really kind of unique juncture uh in the culinary world overall and i think when it when imbibe first came out almost 10 years ago we'll be celebrating our 10th anniversary next year uh, when we first came out you know it was at a point where you know as you said the food world it was really just on fire um people were rediscovering taste re- rediscovering uh local ingredients rediscovering the, the beauty that can be found uh in in their kitchens and in their fields and but the drink scene overall seemed to be lagging a little bit behind. I mean, beer had picked up some, wine was certainly picking up, and cocktails were just starting to really kind of catch fire at that point. Now, 10 years later, we're at a point where we're, where we're uh, have this fully established drinks universe. Uh, the cocktail scene is, is you know, we're deep into the second golden age of the cocktail in terms of creativity and innovation uh, and inspiration. Uh, the, the, the American beer scene and the craft beer scene globally is venturing into these new territories of sour beers, of wild fermented beers, uh, things that are absolutely phenomenal, and the coffee situation. Oh, my goodness. You know, when you look at what's going on in coffee houses, with independent roasters, we're seeing some really remarkable progress and really some remarkable coffees coming out. So we're at this point now where the drink scene seems to be driving a lot of the culinary conversation, which is a great place to be. And so to, to the point that we can, you know, give that coffee uh, enthusiast, you know, something new to look for, something interesting to, to consider. Uh, or likewise, if we can get a beer, uh, beer person you know, thinking a little bit more about sour beers or thinking, you know, what does the term craft mean uh, and how does that affect our, our drinking life, uh, then, you know, we're, we're helping to be not only be a part of that conversation, but kind of drive the drinks conversation. Do you think, I mean, I, like you, you had mentioned that um, obviously the, the kind of like the food movement had started, you know, a few decades back, you know, where we actually started caring about, you know, like, not, I'm not bashing on, you know, like meatloaf and, and baked potatoes, but, we, you know, we started looking at food as an art form and started looking at classic techniques and it started, well, it that had been going on, but it really came to the foreground. And, like, of course, like you said, like then wine was 
kind of, wine ran a little bit tandem with that, but then like beer and, you know, of course cocktails kind of came last. Um, do you think that, do you see much of like speaking of food and, and cocktails, do you see a lot of like food and cocktail pairings out there these days? Or do you still see it as like kind of exclusively like food and wine and then cocktails? Right. Well, you know, I, I think key to it was we rediscovered taste, uh, things that tasted good and the things that tasted different. You know, mm-hmm. um, we used to have very kind of uniform palettes, and now that, that's just kind of, you know, gone supernova in terms of the kind of varieties of flavors that we're looking for. And to your question, you know, cocktail pairings with food, um, I think what we're seeing more now is not necessarily, you know, uh, cocktail pairings as part of uh, a dinner or as part of a restaurant plan, but where bars are really ramping up their kitchens. So they will have small plates coming out, um, you know, uh, things coming out of the kitchen that are designed to to, to really function wonderfully as bar food. Um, You know, you have places like Cannon here in Seattle that has an absolutely fantastic kitchen. I know Grand Army uh, has a fantastic kitchen as well. Um, You know, you're seeing a number of places that are really, you know, the the food is no longer just kind of the the thing to to keep people sitting there and, and ordering another drink it's something that's really delivering on its own merits and and bringing people in uh, you know for, for that reason as well i think i think you're absolutely right especially with it being like you know sherry week we were talking about this a couple days ago about how you know the tapas culture you know really was born out of rather than having a drink that pairs well with your food it was like the food following the the sherry and i think that's really interesting like the way you put it just now because yeah you're you're definitely right you know a lot of people don't realize that death and company has a kitchen you know it's kind of yeah. it's crazy i've had so many of those like this like girl asparagus dishes it's insane um but but yeah you're right i mean like places like mother of pearl here as well like you know like even like a lot of people argue that cocktails and food aren't necessarily supposed to go together um based on the fact that like all right this cocktail, it's kind of like a dish on its own, and you're, you're pairing a dish with another dish, essentially. So I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's harmony to be found with cocktails and food as well. Um, right, it's, right, exactly. And I think in part, part of the way that we're looking at it is in uh, the way that, that, that things are served. You know, the, the food that goes great with cocktails tends to be almost cocktail-sized food, you know, something that sure. you can have in a couple of bites and, and then move on. It matches very well, has those uh, very kind of particular flavors that merge well with the cocktail, and, and then you move on to something else. Right. It's not like the steakhouse vibe where, like, all right, I'm going to, you know, well, I don't know. I've I've definitely had a few Manhattan's while I've had a big <laughs> right, stick, right. but but you know what I mean. Yeah, You're not going to have like a zombie experience as well. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely not like slamming zombies while you're eating at Peter Luger's. But you know, it's. But yeah, I mean, the, the uh, I th- you're absolutely right. I think that the the idea of food with a drink, it's food with a drink, not drinks with the food. I think that's it's a really beautiful thing too. Also, it just opens up the the conversation. I I you know like the the. The vibe and the atmosphere of what you're doing. You're you're at a bar. You're having some drinks with friends. Hopefully, you're having drinks with friends uh, and not people you don't want to be having drinks with. But you know, <laughs> what I mean, you're not really weighing yourself down with a bunch of food and kind of just grazing 
along the the evening, I think is a really cool way to do things. Right. And, and it introduces that cross-pollination aspect that we talked about before, where you have people who, who may come in who, who aren't really interested in cocktails, but they've heard that you have a great kitchen, and so they'll pick up a snack, and you know, the, the, the drink that they're going to order is kind of an afterthought. And then they're exposed to something that goes wonderfully with that food that they went in for. So, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of appealing to a whole new audience in a way. Yeah, you know, I think about it sometimes like salt and pepper. It's like the the classic idea of like, oh, I'll just throw some salt and pepper on it. But like when it applies to drinks, it's like whenever the, the, the old mentality was, ah, I'm just going to have this fucking drink so I can get a little drunk while I'm eating this food, I guess. It doesn't really matter. But then you realize there are hundreds of different salts and peppers out there. You know? <laughs> it's not just salt and pepper. It's not just vodka and soda, you know, <laughs> or, or whatever it may be. Um, but yeah, I think it's a very beautiful thing. Hey, why don't we take a quick break? And when we get back, let's talk more about the beginning of the Cocktail Chronicles, Mixology Monday, and how you got to the book. Sound good? Great. All right. Back in a moment with Paul Clark. to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers, in turn, help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. And we're back. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, The Speakeasy. We are... Does anybody know what's called The Speakeasy? I mean, how do you have a radio show, a talk radio show about booze and not call it The Speakeasy? I mean, it's just... It's a no-brainer. We've been doing this show for almost five years now. I don't think I've ever explained that. It doesn't need explaining? I have no idea. I'm rambling now. Sorry about that. Paul Clark is on the radio today, and we've been talking about Imbibe Magazine, a little bit of how we met, and talking about food pairings and, and with cocktails and just the, the progress of cocktail culture. But let's get back to the beginning. You have this new book called The Cocktail Chronicles, and your your website, the blog that you've had for, I guess it's been 10 years now, right? Yeah, it's, uh, I launched the blog in May of 2005. Yeah, okay. So 10 years in. Congratulations. Um, that's uh, 
that's a hell of a long time to uh, to be compiling a lot of information <laughs> to put into a book. So uh, I, 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 you know, I, I haven't actually, unfortunately, I haven't gotten a chance to crack it yet. But I know you well enough to know that it's a great book, and also like some good buddies of mine and yours, mutual friends. Uh, Meehan's had nothing but great things to say, Jim Meehan, um, and everyone else that that I've talked to about the book. Has you know honestly the reason why I haven't really had a chance to crack it yet is because I've just been behind the bar too damn much lately, and I don't want the pages to get wet. But that's a huge <laughs> problem know, I, in our industry. I, 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 we we toyed with the idea of just having the entire thing laminated for that very reason, <laughs> uh, and then there may be a use for that in the future. But it's, it's, it's great here that people are enjoying it, and and especially. You know, people within the industry. When I first started out writing about cocktails, I mean, I, I didn't know really a single cocktail bartender at the time. Um, it was, you know, it was 2005. The cocktail renaissance was still very early uh, in its stages. It was still very New York, London based. Um, and here in Seattle, I just didn't know anybody personally who was doing it. So it kind of started as a way to, uh, as me, you know, in the darkness and the wilderness. Uh, kind of, you know, wandering around with a mixing glass trying to figure out how to make an El Presidente. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and, and when I wrote the book, it, it, it kind of seemed, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker for milestones, and I saw the 10-year anniversary coming up, and I thought, wow, I should really do something with, with all the stuff I'd put together early on. Because, um, you know, some of the drinks that I wrote about uh, in the early years were, you know, they weren't yet commonplace on menus, and now you see them everywhere. You know, drinks like the corn and oil right. uh, or the... Uh, um, uh, you know, the corn oil was one. The last word was another. Uh, drinks that weren't yet, you know, kind of commonplace or those, you know, kind of what we think of now as staples of, of like a classic uh, cocktail menu. Um, so these were kind of, you know, me just playing around, mixing something, and you know, coming up on that anniversary and realizing how far we've come. I thought, you know, this is a way to kind of, you know, place a timestamp, if you will, on what's happened in the last ten years, not only with me writing about drinks, but in the drinks world overall. What has happened? What are the drinks that we've rediscovered? What are the drinks that have, have served to be these kind of continuing fonts of inspiration? And one of the awesome new things that have come out in the last 10 to 15 to, to even 20 years, I reached back uh, into the late 20th century for some of these, that I, I think you know, should be reevaluated and, and might actually stand a chance of being the classics of 100 years from now. That's, that's amazing you're saying that, because I was just thinking, while you were saying that, I, I was kind of thinking of the, the kind of... the, the I'm trying to figure out, like, it's almost like a what came first, chicken or egg kind of situation. The way that cocktail writing has progressed in the last ten years, so and and how people make drinks, not not only like at home, but like especially in the bar, and how big, how large an effect there is from cocktail journalism in the bar world. You know, like because ten years ago it was. Like people like yourself going to bars and learning from bartenders and reading classic cocktail books and learning about these drinks that way. And there's a lot of trial and error because, to be honest, like it's one of the most frustrating things in the world to me. I love, I love reading old cocktail books, and that's how I got into this. When I started buying cocktail books when I was like 12 years old, and it was weird, but I just like them. But like when you you read these like late, especially like all these like late 19th century cocktail books. 
the the format it's almost like they didn't they were trying to invent the format of a recipe and they it just didn't exist in the bar world i mean it didn't really so much but when you read a cocktail spec in an old cocktail book it might not tell you what glass it's in or uh if it's supposed to be on the rocks or up or how to garnish it it just depends it's totally a shot in the dark sometimes so the, you know 10 15 years ago you absolutely had to rely on going to a bar and learning from a bartender or you were just kind of like making up the the lost parts but now oh. the way that the cocktail journalism has moved along there are like for instance like there's guys like like Chris Barrett at Ludovine in Oklahoma City who reads Imbibe and learns from it you know, and employs those practices in his bar program, and it's it's just interesting the way that it's it's turned like it's there's more exposure to the the knowledge and the information, which is really great, especially with great modern cocktail books like yours. You know, yeah, and you know, part of the reason I wanted to do this because I saw the the world of drinks journalism, the world of drink books. Uh, kind of diverging in a couple of ways. Like I said, you know, I, I've been collecting a lot of those vintage cocktail guides for years, and those were really kind of, you know, some of my first sources of inspiration. Uh, and a lot of those, as you said, were, were really kind of, you know, difficult to, to, to dig through in some ways. You know, th- there would be, you know, you'd go through a drinks recipe, and it would call for the juice of half a lime. Well, how much is that? Yeah, exactly. um, you know, a lot of the, you know, a lot of things just were not spelled out or, or not specific, uh, or some things were just weird. So I wanted to sit down and kind of, you know, look at some of the books that had most influenced me, something like David Embury's Fine Art of Mixing Drinks, and what would a book like that look like today? Or what would, you know, another great book that is much more contemporary was Esquire Drinks uh, from Dave Wondrich, which was, you know, probably the first book that, that I sure. picked up that really kind of excited my uh, imagination. What would that book look like today after all of the innovation and all of the development that's gone on in cocktails over the past 10 years? But similarly, I also wanted to look into the future and think, okay, you know, we have a number of books now that are increasingly written for the specialist, uh, written for people within the industry who have access to to a lot of tools, to to this vast array of spirits uh, at their disposal uh, to, to make these drinks. How can I simplify that? How can I make something that's easily accessible to the beginner but is also, uh, you know, a historical document in some ways of the way people are drinking now? I think it's, you know, to me, there's... It, it's kind of like... It's always like that that hard balance, you know? And I think, I think especially, well, there's... There've been a lot of books that have come out recently. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, just, just saying, um, and a lot of really good ones. Um, and I think that's a really great thing. Um, I think that it is a, a actually, it's a great sign of like where we're at. Like, it, like, like you were saying. I guess what my point is with this is that it is really interesting to see where we are as a drinking culture nowadays. It's supposed to even like you know. 10 years ago like when when esquire books came or when esquire cocktails came out you know um just the i'm not saying i'm not gonna say that that's an antiquated book because it's a very good book but it's just interesting to see like like you said putting these timestamps on you know like jeffrey morgenthaler's book is a good example of kind of more of a, a bartender's manual 
you know, a technical manual uh, in a lot of ways. But then you've got, say, like Greg Sider's book also is very technical. Um, but then you have certain books that come out that are, I, I, you know, like Charles H. Baker's books, you know, they're always really playful and fun to read. And I mean, he was like a writer first and then kind of a barman second. So it really appealed to like the mass market. It's really hard to find that balance. I think I've, I've not found it. And I, not even with this show that we're on right now, um, it's very difficult, but you know, knowing from your reading, you have a really good way about putting things in perspective and making them very easy to understand, but entertaining and educational at the same time. Which yeah, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's it's interesting that you brought up Charles H. Baker because that's another, you know, I, I hold him on the same level as David Embury in terms of an influence in what I've done. Not only because they, they were both interesting writers or put things out there, uh, but also neither of them were were professional bartenders, and neither am I. Um, and so it was, it was looking at it from that side of the spectrum. But also, as you mentioned, you know, Charles H. Baker, you, you pick it up for the writing first and for the recipe second. And, you know, recipes on their own are dull as dirt to read sometimes. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 I make my living as a writer, and I make my living in the world of words. And so I wanted to have the book really deliver on that front and really put the writing front and center. But the recipes have to stand up as well. So I'm trying to draw from, you know, the, the, the selection of drinks and, and what we've learned now and what we've picked up along the way, but also make that approachable and entertaining for, for the first timer. Uh, you know, if we, if, if we make every drinks book, uh, cocktail guide on the same level as like a cookbook from Ferran Adria or from Thomas Keller, then it's going to become impenetrable to the, to the newcomers, sure, sure. uh, to, to, to understand it. So, I mean, in a way, I, I, I wanted almost the joy of cooking approach, you know, something where you can pick it up. If you've never managed to, if you've never mixed a drink for yourself before, you can look at this and maybe work your way through a Manhattan. Yeah. I mean, yeah. The, if you think about the cocktail, any cocktail you're having, and you think about the experience and the atmosphere, the environment, the people around, it's that cocktail moment has a lot of soul. So you have to put the soul into the writing. If you're reading about it, it's when you read Hemingway, you know, he, he talks about a lot of, a lot of things, but then you realize like when you're flipping through the pages, like all of a sudden out of nowhere, you have uh, a glass of brandy in your hand and you're like, where the fuck did that come from? Uh, you know, it, it engages, it like kind of, it gauges you and puts you in that position that puts you in that situation of what it is to enjoy a cocktail and enjoy the environment and the experience. And yeah, I mean, like I, I first got into reading cocktail books because I, I visually, I liked the way that like I like format. I mean, it was a graphic designer, and I, I like the way that a recipe looked, even though some of them didn't look that great. But I didn't know what the hell Curacao was, or Curacao, or whatever I called it back then. Right. But <laughs> but I was like, I was intrigued by the that and the backstory of these cocktails. You know, learning about where margarita came from which no one really knows but i like the the lore surrounding it um you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of storytelling that goes along with cocktail books and that's the same thing like you can get some of that experience at home but like when you're in a bar and you're listening to a bartender tell you you know you get someone like delta groff start spinning stories and 
it turns into a completely different experience, you know, and then you have this personal experience, experiential connection with the cocktail. And then it, it has soul at that point. And I think that's how a cocktail book or any cocktail writing should be. It should have. Soul. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's, you know, the, the, the drink is, is just the, the kind of skeleton upon which I, I can hang things. Um, the, the real flesh and the real life that comes into it is from the people that you're encountering in there. Um, from the bartenders that you're talking to, from the, uh, from the, from the people we meet on the other side of the bar, we're there for the pure enjoyment of it and, and for the joy of being around other people and enjoying cocktails. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it, it's that interesting mesh. And that's what's always, uh, interested me and what's, what's kept me going back to this for so, for so long is that interesting mix of, uh, craftsmanship in some ways, but also the personalities and, and the life that, that, that really comes with the full experience. I couldn't agree more, my friend. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I'm I'm really sorry that you couldn't be here today, but I I know I'm going to see you soon. Uh, it's always great talking with you. We're unfortunately at the end of the show. I know you and I could talk shop for quite a while. Um, absolutely, but well, I, I wish I could be there too. And thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Um, great talking with you. The the book everyone is called the Cocktail Chronicles: Navigating the Cocktail Renaissance with Jigger, Shaker, and Glass. It's put out by Springhouse Press. You can find it. And whatever your favorite bookstore is, I'm sure. Um, and you can also get it on Amazon. You get it on the Cocktail Chronicles website. Um, and, of course, if you don't already read Imbibe Magazine, I, I can't imagine any of the listeners of this show not reading Imbibe Magazine. Uh, if you don't, you should definitely get a subscription because it's great. It's the best uh, drinks magazine out there. And uh, thanks again, Paul. It's really good talking with you. And I wish you all the best and see you soon. Thanks so much, Damon. All right. Cheers, guys. That's it for the Speakeasy this week. Tune in to Heritage Radio Network for many, many other programs just like this one. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.